Okay, welcome to your first day guarding the gates of hell. So we've got an important job that we have to do here. That's letting in the souls that are coming into hell and making sure that nobody causes any trouble because this is hell. We don't want any trouble. This is a lawful place, as you know. So, okay, quiet down now. We're not open just yet. Just give us a few more minutes. Sorry about that. You know, they get really anxious to get into hell. I'm guilty. You know, that didn't actually sound that bad. Are we sure they're supposed to come here? Don't worry. You know, if you belong in hell, you show up in hell. So first we're going to talk about proper pitchfork form. We're also going to talk about the proper ways to whip dead souls that come into hell. Okay. We're going to cover different forms of torture. Yeah, yeah, you'll get it. Don't worry. We'll have you covered. All right. So uh, do you have any questions before we get started? It's just they seem very eager about this. Yeah, you know, they love damnation. It's just like their favorite thing. All right. Hello, fantasy and horror fans, and welcome to Scares and Satire. The podcast will return low fantasy horror into high art. I'm your spooky dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my devilish co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a blacksmith in training. I guess an evil blacksmith in training. What's the difference between a blacksmith and an evil blacksmith? Oh, you're right. It's kind of redundant, I guess. And I'm Jack Olander, traveling salesman of Consecrated Bells. It's a good business these days. Oh, dude, I totally thought you were going to go with Demon in Disguise. Because you look all lanky like the demon guy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he he did have a wonderful figure. Yeah, you you could totally have pulled off that part, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll just scuttle around a bit more and I can do it. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Nice. Well, guys, this week we're going to be talking about Araminthari, the Blacksmith and the Devil, a 2017 Basque dark fantasy horror film directed by Paul Urquillo Alijo. This is a film that I believe Netflix released uh, after its initial release in Europe or something along those lines. Um, So if you want to watch the film before continuing on, that would be the place to go check it out. But before we get too far into the movie, we do want to issue a trigger warning for our listeners. This film does contain scenes of torture and of child endangerment. We try to 
touch on these topics in a sensitive and thoughtful way, since we know that they are sensitive issues, of course. But we just wanted to give you warning in advance before you keep listening. So now let's talk about the film. Here's your summary for Araminthari, the blacksmith and the devil. Now, let me ask you a question real quick, Chelsea. What does Araminthari mean? Uh, the blacksmith. So you're saying that this movie is called Blacksmith, colon, the blacksmith and the devil. Uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, makes sense to me. <laughs> so, as Jamie mentioned, this movie is based on Basque folklore, although... The original folktale itself involving blacksmiths and devils, blacksmithery and deviltry, as I like to say, is much older than that. It's uh has roots in the entirety of the Indo-European languages and and cultures, and can be traced from Europe back to India. And so this might be one of the oldest European stories that they are adapting. For surviving this today. Surviving exactly. Yeah, let be clear, not that ever existed, just that we know about. Right. So potentially over 6,000 year old folktale. So that's cool. So in this version of the tale, it takes place in just after the first Carlist War in Basque Country. At the end of the war in 1835, one Francisco Paxti, a blacksmith, survives by making a deal with a demon so that he will survive his capture and be able to see his wife again. Oh. So he was one of the rebels fighting in the war, and he's one of the few survivors. He makes it back to his small hometown somewhere in Basque Country, and so it's eight years later. He takes up residence in an abandoned forge in the forest. And there are all these rumors going around that he's an evil and cruel man and that he killed his wife and nobody will go near the place. I mean, as a blacksmith, that is to be expected, right? Yeah. I, no, mean, I mean, what else are you gonna do? It's in the name. What, are you expecting to, like, forge weapons and stuff and not be committing heinous murders? <laughs> So there are a few catalysts that set off our plot. One is that an orphan from the village that's being raised by the local priest and one of his uh, attendants is playing by herself in the forest. Her name is Ushue, and she's set upon by a local boy and one of his friends. The boy's name is Benito. And he's a real shithead. Yeah. They start bullying her. She fights back. She's a fighter. Uh... She lost her mother. People tell her her mother killed herself, hanged herself, and so she's in hell, and she's constantly tormented by people about that. Yeah, they're making fun of her for it, which is, I mean, well, this, they, is, this is the shitty olden times. <laughs> yes, they chase her through the woods. They end up at the gates of Paxti's Forge. He has gates around his property. 
These crazy iron gates with spikes and crosses all over them. I would call them Bloodborne-esque for any fans of the From Software game Bloodborne. And we're going to get more into the aesthetics of the film in a little bit. Uh, I'd like to go into more detail about that. but oh, 100%. Benito tears the doll's head off and throws it over the fence. And Ushue is compelled to go after it the next day. And so that's one of the catalysts. The other catalyst is there's a government man named Ortiz who comes into town. And <laughs> it turns out that he is on a mission to find some stolen gold that was taken during the war. And he believes that Huxty, the blacksmith, has has it somewhere in his forge. And so he hires some local men to form a small militia to go after it, to take it by force. And so these events are kind of converging on Huxty to change up his stagnant state of just being in his forge alone all the time. Poor guy. He just wants to stick to his blacksmithing. Exactly. So Ushue gets in first. She's sneaking around. She's just looking for her doll, but she goes into the forge and she finds a little boy that's being kept captive in a cage. And he shows her that the blacksmith is torturing him and it tracks with the rumors about this cruel and evil man. That's right. Confirming everything we know about blacksmiths. Blacksmithers? <laughs> Ushue waits until the blacksmith falls asleep. She steals the keys and sets the boy free, but lo and behold, he grabs a pitchfork and turns into his true form, a demon named Sartael. Which means, uh, wait, wait would, you, would you say A-L uh, means? Oh, of God. Which means the Sart of God. <laughs> or the Fart of God, the Wind of Inspiration. I mean, that kind of makes sense for a devil man. Yeah. It fits the character pretty well, I think. <laughs> it really does. Sartael's a little bit of a trickster type. Mm -hmm. But Paxty has some tricks up his sleeve, and he throws down some chickpeas to entrap Sartael, because all demons and devils in this mythology are compelled to count the chickpeas, if they see them on the ground, it basically defeats them. And so they... Temporarily incapacitates them. Yes. So they are able to get him back in the cage. They torment him together for a while. So Ushue and Paxti, the blacksmith, they bond over tormenting this demon. <laughs> kind of, but Ushue is actually, like, shook pretty much immediately, like, once... Paxty starts, like, ringing the blessed bell and causing Sartael, like, tremendous pain. She seems to take pity on Sartael pretty quickly. Yeah, she says she didn't mean to hurt him. And she, she feels bad for him. Meanwhile, Ortiz and the men come by. It's actually their second time uh, making their way to the forge. But the first time they came by, one of the men died falling into one of the bear traps on the <laughs> classic traps. bear trap accident yeah he fell in neck first big mistake <laughs> first he gets his leg stuck in it paxty lets him go the guy freaks out turns around and suddenly stumbles right into another bear, bear trap that snaps on his neck and kills him 
Yeah. There's the a dude lot of... was playing Twister and got left foot bear trap. <laughs> and then neck bear trap? Neck bear trap. So they come back with more men, more guns, and uh, torches, and basically a mob of villagers, because by this point they've noticed that Ushue is missing, and Benito claims that the blacksmith has harmed her. It's your typical village mob scenario. We've all been there, we've all been the target of one. You know what we're talking about here. Exactly. They're all the same. You're just minding your own business, in your lab, conducting abominable experiments that defy the will of God, and then all of a sudden, these fuckers with pitchforks and torches show up. Rude. It's a whole thing. So, they happen upon Paxti and Ushue right as he was leading her out of his property, going to walk her home, and they assault him, believing that he kidnapped Ushue and killed the other man from the village. On top of the other rumors, it was just too much for them to take. They beat him up, drag him back into the property, and trespass into his home, the forge. <laughs> the only home he's ever known. Except for the home he had before that one. Right. Ortiz, the government man, commissions two of the men from the militia to tie up Paxti and try to beat the truth out of him about where he's hiding this gold. This is not a super graphic movie, but there are some sensitive topics in it, so. Yeah. So, while this is going on, Ortiz starts talking to Sartael and reveals that he's actually his superior from hell, the demon Alistor. Oh god, it's management! <laughs> yeah, and he tells Sartael that he's been an embarrassment to hell for his inability to capture Paxti's soul for the pact that he made years earlier, and so he's being demoted to the fourth circle of hell that holds sad people. <laughs> Bummer, man. Bummer. <laughs> it's true. He's a sad case himself. Not only could he not collect Pax's soul, but he got captured by Pax for years and revealed his true form to all the villagers as well. Triple no-no right there. Yep, so he had three strikes, you're out, you know? <laughs> yeah, what do you expect from the shart of God? <laughs> that was good. So I expect a giant mess. Yes. And that's what Sartael is in. <laughs> He's beautiful. Sartael <laughs> convinces Ushue, who is hiding in a corner, to ring the blessed bell that hurts the demon's ears and to help free him. She's able to do that and makes makes her own pact with Sartael, and he feels indebted to her for helping him out at that point. This act reveals Alistor's true demon face to the villagers. And, and it's they, glorious. They run away screaming. The priest had come in at this point. The priest wanted to use Sartael as proof of the existence of heaven and hell. And Not he a bad had plan. ambitions of his own. Literal demon? Pretty good evidence. And he sees that Ushue let Sartael go and he slaps her across the face and insults her mother. 
And Ushue is so angered by this that she walks up to Alistor and makes a deal with him to give him her soul in exchange for taking her to her mother in hell. And he's like, hey, sure, kid. And she's like, oh, yeah, dead sure. And he's like, all right. I guess in hell they don't, like, have uh, age restrictions for making contracts. Right. That's hell for you. <laughs> so he kills her. And disappears, because he's, he's gotten a soul. He's satisfied. Since the other militiamen ran away after they saw uh, Alistor's demon face, Ushue had freed Paxti before she disappeared. So he goes to Sartael and makes a new deal with him. He agrees to allow Sartael to take him into hell in exchange for freeing Ushue. So Sartael kills him. By the way, at this point, it's well past when I thought the movie was supposed to end. So it was just crazy. Way um, past. <laughs> uh, and that's not to say, I mean, this is not a long movie. It's only an hour and a half, but like there's just so much packed into it. Yeah. So uh, Sartayel kills Paxty. They, Paxty opens his eyes and they're on this path to hell. And there's all these other souls clamoring to get in, begging to be let into hell. And when Paxty comments on it, Sartayel says that the souls condemn themselves to hell out of their own guilt. And they hear Ushue screaming near the gate. And Paxty goes and saves her um, from the demons. He's fighting off the other demons with his hammer. He had also brought in with him the giant bell from the church, which turns out was made from the gold that Alistor had been looking for before. Nah, hiding right in plain sight. Yep. So once he tries to take Ushue away, Alistor emerges from the gates of hell and tries to stop them. But Ushue helps Paxti throw down the chickpeas, which basically defeats Alistor. And Ushue is able to escape hell with Sartayel. Paxti stays behind to look for Ushue's mother, who it turns out was his late wife. Uh, what a twist! Her name was Maite. And so he goes into hell to start looking for her. And when Sartayel and Ushue come back to Earth, he tells the villagers that she was rejected from hell because she's too good. She's actually a saint. And he tells them to re that she deserves their love and respect. And uh, then he transforms into a uh, lithe young man and runs away and ends up with another traveler and tells him the tale of the blacksmith and the devil on their way to another town. The end. It, there's a lot packed into it, but it's a really fascinating movie. Well, why don't we unpack some of that? Because we're heading into The Delve. Welcome to The Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Araminthari. So I thought it'd be cool if we started by talking about the aesthetics and morality of the movie. And I know that Jamie kind of pinpointed the style earlier, but do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Well, I mean, I just kind of made reference to it, like resembling a From Software game. I don't know if that was an intentional... Uh, <laughs> 
choice by the uh, director. Although, if so, fucking rad. Hell yeah. Bloodborne rules. The Dark Souls games kick ass. Um, but I, I mean, I think that this just kind of shares a 1800s European dark fantasy look that comes from other films too, like The Brotherhood of the Wolf and Sleepy Hollow and just that kind of... Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, which is not in the 1800s, but like has like an older mm. kind of aesthetic. So period piece fantasy horror. Yeah. Like it's dark, mm. it's spooky. There's unnecessary spikes on everything. Yeah, all these crosses everywhere, like rusting iron crosses all over everything. Bear traps littering the forest, people carrying bells around. Yeah, then this mob with the pitchforks and the torches and like all the colors are really muted. And it's not quite sepia toned, but it's very muted colors and um, dark lighting. And there's always a lot of mist. Yeah, it's very deliberate. I'd, I'd say that the the look is very consistent and I mean, it's what you'd expect, but I think they did a good job, like setting the scene. It creates yes. a very evocative, dark gothic mood that fits the story pretty well, and is maybe interestingly offset by the practical makeup effects for the demons. That looks a little—I don't want to say silly. It it contrasts in an interesting way. This kind of reminded me more of like legend or labyrinth like something where where they mix a very particular period style with practical makeup effects and the the devil makeup and characters do stand out a little bit for being a little like cartoony for lack of a better word like they are very garish garish yeah but I, I, I don't, and that's not a knock on the movie. Like, I think it looks cool. Well, the aesthetics of the demons is very elaborate. Yes. And well done and seems like they took put a lot of thought into it. And I think they're so intentionally kind of goofy. Yeah, the movie has these weird moments of slapstick. Like, the scene where the guy falls into the bear trap neck first is so, like, comical and kind of over the top. There's and even some like little like musical ditty that goes along with it that's almost like Yeah, like and when they're like torturing Paxty, like the sound effects are these like wet meat hitting a stone floor effects that are just so over the top and ridiculous. And like characters will be knocked out and there's like chime bell sounds. Yeah. There's a cartooniness to this that I actually really like as a juxtaposition with the darker, grittier aesthetic of the setting. Yeah, it kind of lightens the mood a little bit and kind of holds your interest in that way. Yeah, about the kind of muted tones of the film, I thought it was kind of neat how the brightest things in it, well... Aside from plants, because you can't really avoid how bright those are without heavy editing, were the demons. Sartiel, for a large portion of the film, is the most colorful thing in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the fire, of course. But Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah, but like big, bright red devil. Yeah, he's yeah. a very Pretty. primary color character in a very muted film. 
Mm-hmm. And that that feels very intentional. Yeah. Because all of the clothing and set pieces and everything seemed like they had been meticulously researched and were accurate to the period. And it's a cool looking movie. Like I, I, that's why I said, like it reminds me of like a legend that is very intentional and elaborate and knows how to like fill the color palette in interesting ways. Yeah. Speaking of Sartael, right? I like his character so much because he is a demon from hell, but he seemed very human despite that. He was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of what he was saying was how he hates the blacksmith for keeping him here and keeping him from doing his job. And when they're kind of pushing Sartail to his limits by torturing him, he's like, ah, I hate this job anyway. I didn't want to be the guy who just punishes people. This sucks. And I'm not even good at my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that whole thing with hell as a workplace is one of my favorite parts of the movie and i want to talk about that all day every day like it is it is so on the nose and yet feels perfect in this film mm-hmm. you know sartiel maybe demon tempting isn't your thing oh alistair come on man i worked hard for this job you know i think you might have talents better suited for the fourth layer of hell. Oh, (laughs) Alistair, please. (laughs) Yeah, that was so good where he's talking to, he's talking to Sartail like a manager, exactly like you said. He's like, you know, maybe you're just not cut out for this position. You know, I might have to go to corporate about your behavior. Oh, man. It really felt like that. He was like, you've been an embarrassment to hell. You've been demoted. (laughs) Exactly. He literally says, yeah, demoted. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, and Sardayel is just cringing. He's like, oh, how far have I been demoted? Fourth layer with the sad people. And he's just like, fuck. Oh, that's not good. I get this impression that at the end of the movie, he's trying to avoid going back to hell by taking on human form and oh, traveling yeah. to the next town. He's just ditching work. Yeah. yeah he's he like, you know what? So too. Take this job and shove it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When he's running away, he's like, I'm never going back. Oh, okay. I missed that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because this really dovetails nicely with my favorite part about this movie. And it is the beautifully crafted class commentary. Okay, here we go. It is just so great because when this government man shows up, nobody trusts him, right? Ortiz is... He's wearing this, you know, clean, elaborate suit, very, you know, frock coat type deal. And all the other people are kind of dirty. By that, I mean, like, they are physical laborers. Like, they have the dirt of good, honest work all over them. Right. They are not, you know, there's no local government to speak of in the film. These are just folks getting by just fine without authority to hamper them after this Carlist war that, you know, sets the stage eight years prior. These are people who are coming out of this dark time. They don't want to deal with any more bureaucracy or bullshit. Then this government man shows up to just like 
push them around and manipulate them. And of course, it turns out that the government man is actually a devil in disguise, manipulating the people to his will. Yeah. Nobody really wants to work for him, but the promise of money is too good. And what better class commentary do we have than evil corporate overlords manipulating the working people for ends that would not really benefit those common folk? Yes, and more on that character in corporate stupid or misunderstood. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I we love should that. Probably wait to talk more detail about him till there. But you're right; it is perfect. It fits in with this idea of class struggle. And then it's like, as if that is not on the nose enough. When we see the structure of hell, it is like this workplace with these demon greeters for lack of a better word like the demons outside of hell kind of like talking about their their jobs like bringing people in like it's work and then sartel is this kind of layabout who doesn't really want to do his job he just does it because like that's what he's supposed to do and he's got this manager in alistair who's just a dickhead i i mean it's brilliant i yeah i love every second of this it was fantastic but, you know, Sartael also kind of uses the language of class to mock the humans. He calls them yokels. He says that they're dumb and that they don't understand the world. But that's just this corporate structure, this bureaucratic government structure of hell standing in for systems of power in the real world. Hell yeah. is just this representation of the evils of authoritarian regimes crushing the people beneath their heel. And they use rumors and superstition that are kind of circulated in these by the common folk. Um, they use these narratives to turn people's attention to some other source to direct their fear and anger at so that they don't question the people in power too much. That's like Alistor as Ortiz, um, directing them to basically go attack the blacksmith and try to take his gold away because he's promising them something, but they don't instead reject the man from the government and make him leave town, even though they distrust him. No, I mean, it's shades of witch trials where people could accuse their neighbors and win their the property of those neighbors after liter literally murdering them yeah and you know the other the, the the highest authority of power that we see in the town is the priest and the priest is just happy to see sartael because he also wants to use sartael to further his own agenda to create this fear of god to reinforce his own power amongst the people. And Sartayel tries to entice him to take him away from that place, saying that, oh yes, you could become Pope. Yeah. Because <laughs> Sartayel knows how to manipulate people. Right. If nothing else. Well, that's the, that's the department he comes from, is manipulation. Yeah, it's good work. <laughs> it's good work and dishonest. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I like how Paxty, you know, the, the quintessential tradesperson, a blacksmith, sees through the priest's games, 
knows that Sartael and the demons are not to be trusted. You know, he's just interested in keeping to himself. He he knows the horrors of war, as we see at the beginning of the movie. He knows that authoritarian regimes will kill anybody who doesn't fall in line. And he doesn't want any part of it anymore. He's been there. He's seen the horrors of war and authoritarianism. And he just wants to be removed from it completely. Well, and who his, can blame him? His eyes had been opened. He knows the true nature of reality and who's really pulling the strings. And he fought back against that and lost and then became a recluse. And um, when he, when people find out about what's really going on, they don't try to help him or believe that he was doing anything for anybody's benefit by keeping that demon locked up. They just attack him and turn on one of their own. Yeah. Now, I will say this doesn't mean that Paxty is a completely redeemable character. No. Or or morally good character. And, I mean, that is the thing I like about this movie, too, is that it has a more nuanced approach to character development. Paxty went to war. His wife thought he was dead. He came back, found out that she had taken another lover, had a child. In his rage... He killed his wife's lover. He almost killed Shue, leaving the scar on her face. He's not a good character. And this, uh, out of grief, that's what led Maite, his wife, to kill herself. Right. So, like, Paxi has a dark past, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, like, you just described, you know, your run-of-the-mill blacksmith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there is some truth to the rumors, but it's just, uh, there's inaccuracies, as all rumors might yeah. go. But um, he's trying to redeem himself. He's helping Ushue. He's trying to look for his wife in hell. He's trying to free her, I would assume. Or just be with her, maybe. Maybe he, you know, the the big theme of the movie is that the people, the humans in hell are there by their own kind of guilt. Yeah, they choose that path. They're When we see them in line clamoring to get in, they're begging to be let into hell, wailing that they're terrible people, that they're guilty, and and yelling out their crimes that they are basically judging themselves for. Yeah. It's very similar to the morality in Lucifer, the show. Yeah, I ate an entire pack of Oreos when I said I'd only have a few. I need to be punished. <laughs> well, I'm that's, evil. That's a terrible sin, man. Yeah, mm. so it's not clear if Paxty is going to try to free Mate or if he is going to be with her, but to also, you know, kind of take the damnation that he might think he deserves. Right. I mean... According to this, as soon as you go into hell, you can never come out again. But, uh... I mean, that's what demons say. So that's like... what demons say. They can't be trusted. So. Now, I, you know, I gotta say, demons whose job it is to tempt humans, they go out of hell. They're expected to go back, but they can certainly go out again. That's, that's true. true. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Sartael certainly at the end thinks that he might be able to get away after witnessing 
the events of the film. He's like, ah, I don't think I'm ever going back. I mean, who can blame him? What a terrible workplace. And so what I'm thinking is that it's, it's a hell of a job. <laughs> it's possible that it's just very difficult for most people to get out of hell, but somebody like the blacksmith might be able to do it. I mean, he has this massive holy bell he's bringing in, and he knows tricks on how to thwart demons. So if anyone's equipped to do it, it might be him. Yeah. And the demons fear him, too, so. Yeah, they do after seeing him defeat Alistor. You know what, guys? I think this is the perfect time to take a break and head over to the bounty board. This week, Swords and Satire is proud to be sponsored by Audible. Now, I gotta tell you, I've been an Audible subscriber for a long time, and I've really enjoyed the audiobooks that I've listened to through the service. They've got a great selection of memoirs by filmmakers and actors from some of our favorite fantasy movies. Obviously, a lot of fantasy and sci-fi literature that all three of us love here at Swords and Satire and tons of other great content that you're definitely going to enjoy. So we want to give you the opportunity to sign up for Audible and also help support our show by going to audibletrial.com swords and sign up for your free 30-day trial. And when you do that, you're going to get a credit for a free book that's yours to keep, whether or not you keep your membership. You're going to get access to select Audible Originals, and you'll get an email reminder before your trial ends. But I'm sure you're going to decide that you want to keep your membership because there's so much that Audible provides. They have thousands of titles for you to choose from, and they're constantly adding new content all the time. So once again, visit audibletrial.com swords to sign up for your 30-day trial, your choice of an audiobook, and to help support our show. And now, back to the episode. Well, should we get into a little bit more of the religious symbolism in the movie? Sure. Where was that? <laughs> oh, here and there. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So what's really interesting in the beginning, there's all of this imagery and dialogue that communicates Ushue's status in the village and her flexible morality. So when we first see her, she's playing alone in the woods outside of the bounds of the village. So she's already kind of like an outcast, we get the assumption. Just to add on that, she is skipping church. Right. It's Sunday morning, everyone's in church, and some people are going, where's Ashue? She is skipping church to play by herself at the periphery of society. Holding her own mass for her doll, which priest and his helpers would surely see as blasphemous. And just to build on that again, she has stolen the communion wine to drink at this mass that she's creating. Yeah. 
She also has a friend, which is a snake that comes to the mass. And she's like eating an apple at the same time or has an apple there. And she says to the snake, she picks him up and is very happy. And she's like, oh, I'm so happy you came. You got my invitation. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. She's also saying like. So it's she, like uh, comparing her to Eve. Yeah. yeah. She also like chastises her doll in probably a lot of the ways that she herself is chastised as somebody who doesn't conform right. to the norms of society and who doesn't really see things the same way that other people do because she's being told her mother's in hell she's a sinner all this stuff and she doesn't believe any of that so she's yelling it at her doll and it really smacks of a child repeating something she's heard um but then she tries to console the doll and say you know what none of that's true you're beautiful and she puts the scarf around the doll and she says this was your mother's Right, so she's really talking to herself. Yes. She's role-playing a nurturing adult for herself. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It's very, the the the, the character of, I mean, first off, Oshue is a badass character. Yeah. Fantastic. She's fantastic. Yeah, just such a, such a great protagonist, I would say, of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I would say she's the protagonist. She's certainly the character that we spend the most time with and we see most of our perspective from. She's not afraid to stand up to bullies or demons. Yeah. <laughs> She's easily one of the most competent characters in the film at eight years old. Not bad. Dude. Not once does she step into a bear trap, which puts her ahead of like 50% of the rest of the cast. <laughs> it's true Sartail steps in a bear trap three times in the movie <laughs> and the one guy that died stepped in them twice in succession it's true stepped uh, in them stepped in yeah, them stepped in it with his face yes <laughs> yeah it's pretty good but yeah she she is so cool as a character the way that she stands up to bullies. She punches kids in the face or <laughs> smacks them. When they deserve it. Upside their head. Yeah, when, they when, when they're bullying her. Really, yeah, they're really taking it pretty far. And, uh, you know, she's this little girl and she doesn't really know what to do to kind of get them to stop. So she just smack them upside the face. And they go. They leave. They leave her alone because she just fucking hit them. And uh, it works. She stands up for herself. And we she don't we don't condone mask. we don't condone hitting as problem solving, of course. No. But, but she's, it shows this that is like she, it, this is yeah. like an eight year old child who, you know, is going through a lot of things and is in a society that's very uncaring and, and cruel and she reflects that but she's also not afraid to stand up for herself that's the part of it that i like yeah exactly and that doesn't mean she's without compassion too because like we said she's trying to console her dolls she's friends with animals she uh she's she tries to Sartayel. yeah she tries to save the boy and then when she finds out he's a demon, she still apologizes to him after she realizes she's hurting him the way that people hurt her. And she lets him out. 
And that's one thing I really liked about her character was that she's like, she sees this demon and she's like, oh, he's he's like me. Yeah. He's just bummed out. And Sartail can, like, like you said, he feels like he owes it to her. He's like, you know what? She's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. She was really nice to me. I think I I think I ought to pay her back a little bit. Yeah, he I really did her a that. solid in the end. Yeah, they're buddies. Game recognized game. Yeah, and it, like you were saying, Chelsea, how he's like, oh, she was rejected from hell for being a saint, which of course was a lie, but it shows how highly he thinks of her. And that he would put his, you know, that he would say that. And he told them, like, she deserves your respect. And it seemed like everybody's behavior changed towards her immediately. Which is funny because mm -hmm. he's still a demon. So they're like, oh, well, this guy's telling the truth, obviously. Nobody in the village ever wises up to that. <laughs> also, nobody's ever that shocked about, like, a literal demon from hell. I know. They say, like... There was a demon in there and people are kind of looking confused. And then another guy says, I saw him too. And everybody's just like, okay, that's mm -hmm. a that's thing. Demons are real. It's in there. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, I guess you just accept it, right? Like, yeah. oh yeah, of course. Demons. We don't know about demons. <laughs> I think my cousin Mikey's a demon. Actually, come to think of it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I met him. This seems like a yeah. perfect time to transition into evil, stupid, or misunderstood welcome to evil stupid or misunderstood the part of the podcast where we take a look at the antagonists of the film and determine if they're evil or i mean it's possible that they're stupid or could they just be misunderstood? So, guys, let's talk about Hell and the various employees therein. Specifically, I guess, Sartael and Alistor. Well, right before we talk about them, I want to talk about benign evil. And I think the perfect figurehead for that would be the priest. Because sure. he doesn't seem to have much authority over the people in the town he's more of like a religious advisor to the people in terms of the way that they behave around each other sure like they want to act a little bit better around the priest because you know you don't need him nagging you all the time so he's less of an authority figure for uh civic purposes but He's a benign kind of evil because he's just passively cruel to Ishue and all the people that do directly work for him in yeah, the church. He's always shitting on her. Like, he hits her in one scene. He, like, calls her, basically says she's an ingrate for not just, like, kowtowing to his every whim. Yeah. He's always saying nasty things to her. And he seems to be very petty in the way that he uses the little bit of power that he does have. And he's not really interested in saving people, like saving souls, as you might be for a Christian priest. Uh, he seems to be more interested in his own 
self-satisfaction and ambition. Yeah, he's which, trying to which grab... Which really comes through in the end when he sees Sartayel. He's just trying to grab any power he can to legitimize his own position. And, and to make himself look powerful. And that's the first thing he thinks of when he sees Sartayel is his, is himself and his own station within the church. And he thinks he can rise up to become Pope, maybe. Yeah. And he basically is ready to abandon his flock and just go to Rome with Sartayel in tow. <laughs> that would be quite a scene. And he's blatant about this. He's saying it out loud to everybody, but nobody takes note of it. It's just so infuriating. It's like they look over it just like they look over that they're working for the government man that they hate, who represents everything they hate. And like that they're all literal demons and everything. And they still believe everything they say. Like they overlook what people in power or evil beings quote unquote evil beings do and just kind of still accept them or take their word on faith, blind faith, and don't question anything. And I think that's probably pretty accurate, unfortunately. Yeah, seems to fall in line with some of the power grabs that we see in uh, our own society and timeline. <laughs> So I just wanted to highlight the benign forms of evil that they highlight in the movie a little bit. Which first. are pretty stupid, if you ask me. Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. It's it's pretty stupid, I agree. Well so, what about what about the, the actual literal demons in this movie? What do we think about them? I wanna say I think for Sartael, I think he's actually misunderstood. And stupid. <laughs> but I don't okay. think he's evil, actually. Okay, let's talk about it. It's just more of like a um, just kind of background thing for him, the morality part of it, you know? Yeah, it seems, well, like we say, it's a job. And also, like we say, a good soldier should not always follow orders. But when your orders are from a deity... I think there's a little leeway in the morality of the situation because God literally, we well, we have to assume in this Christian setting, put them in those jobs, right? Or Satan, so, right? I mean, yeah, sure. So he has an evil job, but uh, he doesn't seem to like it, really. He even says how bad he is at it. Yeah, like he's somebody who's who's got a job to be bad, who's like, man, I don't really want to do it. <laughs> like, you got to respect that. Yeah, and he says, fuck it, and bails. Right? <laughs> Whether, like, out of, I, I don't think it's any strong conviction so much as laziness, but, like, nah, it's whatever it takes to get him out of that shitty career, like, it's not so yeah. bad. I mean, he seems definitely vengeful, but not very malicious or, like, sadistic. Because there are tons of situations where he could have just, like, messed up a ton of people. And it, even the girl early on, the main character, he could have hurt her. He threatened to early on, and he didn't do it. There was no reason to. So it's not like he has this drive to do evil things, it seems like. No. 
the threat was almost more like a policy. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's like, I got a threat. I'm a, look at me. I'm a red dude with horns on my head and a pitchfork. I got a threat in you. It's, it's like just, part it's, of the job. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be done. It's got to be done. Yeah, but uh, he's not the best at getting out of being backed into a corner. He gets desperate. Yeah. To be sure. Yeah, he kind of loses his form when he's running out of options. He gets stressed out and he gets kind of sloppy. Like when he's like telling the priest, oh, I'll make you Pope. Come on, man. Just let me out. Yeah. You know you wanna. And the uh, the, the priest is like, no, I, I don't think that fits with my character. And Sartale's just like, oh, shit. <laughs> Guess I messed that one up. At the same time that he, the priest is kind of dreaming about what Sartael kind of envisions for him. He's like, I'm still not going to let you out, though. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, well, I think uh, misunderstood is probably prominent, I'm thinking. Yeah, and stupid. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Well, how how about Alistor? I mean, I think he's just kind of like evil, right? Just like archetypal evil, the evil of authoritarian government that you know, is unwavering in what it expects of its servants. Mixed with the embodiment of pure evil of, like, a demon overlord. Oh, sure, that too, yeah. (laughs) It's true. It didn't seem like he was super sadistic, as in enjoying hurting others, as much as he was happy that he was good at his job. (laughs) You know? In evil pride. Yeah, he's I mean, like, damn, I get results. Pride goeth before the fall, so. It's true, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he did a lot of evil stuff because his job is evil, and he liked being good at it, so it made him evil. I see it. I, I, well, I just want to point out real quick that he wasn't the manager of the torturing department. He was the manager of the manipulations department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't want to give him a total pass. Like, when... Shue offers up her life. Like, he's like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll fucking kill a kid. No problem. That's pretty fucking evil. Oh, it is. Yeah. The job oh, is evil. You know? He's sure. evil. It's like part of his being. It's inherent to him. Yeah. But I don't want to give it's, him a pass for it. I don't feel like it's something <laughs> he chose. I feel like it's part of his, the core of his very being. Yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. It's just like, he doesn't go around killing people willy-nilly, I guess. It's only when she's like, hey, I'll give you my soul if, you, if you'll if you take me to hell, right? He's like, oh, dude, say no more. <laughs> okay, I get it. He's lawful evil. He doesn't just chaotically go around killing people like you're saying, Jack. Yeah. he He's only going after specific souls. I mean, I think that, like... The, that he's the, had clearance to take. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the D&D alignment system works perfectly for this for this version of hell, because Alistor is lawful evil, and I think, I'm pretty sure Sartael is chaotic neutral. Yeah. He's just like, I don't, I don't want to follow the rules, and fuck it, I'm just going to do whatever I want, but... Like, uh, yeah, I kind of like hurting people, but I also don't care that much. Like, if it's too much effort, it's not really worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Also, with Alistor, I see that situation a lot as, like, a salesperson with a sale just falling into their lap. They didn't have to work for it. He's like, ah, I got any better. 
And that's why he was so <laughs> zealous about it. Because he's like, man, this job is so easy. It does itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that might be a part I of it. I should reveal sure. my true form more often. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we got uh, Alistair, just pure evil, the literal embodiment of bureaucratic mm -hmm. evil. And Sartael, uh, stupid and misunderstood. Yeah. yeah. Works for me. Well, then I think it's time to fittingly head to the smithy. Welcome to the smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give this movie a rating from 1 to 10 pitchforks? Yes, I think I do. My favorite moment from the film has probably got to be the final scene where Sartayel is in human form and he gets on this rich dude's carriage who offers to give him a ride. He's like, hey, stranger, you look like you've just been through a lot. And Sartail's like, oh, yeah, I have been. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. He's like, hey, I got I got some good ears and a lot of time to spare. And Sartail's like, ah, it starts like most stories with a man of flesh and blood. I thought that was so sick. Sartail's just like enjoying life as a human. And he has like this cool story to tell. And I, I just... It was awesome. Yeah, I really want a spinoff, which is just the adventures of Sartayel in human form. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's just such a charming character and pretty nuanced for a demon. And, you know, he's a funny character. Uh, So, yeah, I thought that was pretty epic. And when I think of the movie, I liked the practical effects. It just kept taking twists. I had like not expected whatsoever it took you to places that you like i never thought they'd be going to hell i gotta say that was wild <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> and uh yeah it just it was a ride and i actually really appreciate this movie it was low budget and very cool i'm probably gonna give it i'm gonna go out and say Nine out of ten sword forks. Pitch swords. <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a very strong yes, rating. with a minus one because the pacing early on was a little slow. Chelsea, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then your rating from one to ten pitch forks? So my epic moment is one we've already mentioned, but I just can't help it. I loved it mm -hmm. so much. It's it's when the snake comes to Ushue's forest picnic yes. and instead of being scared by it, which I kind of half expected, she picks him up right away and is just like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Like it's a long lost friend and like you got our invitation. I'm so happy you're here. I loved that so much. It just like totally subverts your expectations and I love that she just didn't give in to fear and, and, and you get an immediate sense of who she is as a character from that one act and I thought it, that was really great bit of storytelling, showing not telling uh, for film storytelling. Yeah, it was really cute. 
So I really loved the aesthetics of this movie and the dialogue was super interesting and it had unique character choices and morality and I really felt like they were trying to go in a different direction with this folk tale. They put their own unique spin on it. So I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 pitchforks. Nice. nice. Very good rating. How about you, yes, Jamie? Yes, tell us, Jamie. I will tell you, Chelsea and Jack, my epic moment from the movie happens near the beginning when we see a shot of Paxty forging some iron in his smithy and he's hammering this piece of glowing hot steel and his hammer breaks and he looks at the broken stump of the hammer and just tosses it away and starts pounding the iron with his fist. (laughs) So badass. Why? (laughs) I, it it doesn't come up anywhere else in the movie. He's surrounded by tools. Like, (laughs) yeah. This never comes back. This never is alluded to anywhere else, but he fucking does it and it rules. And I love that shot. I am going to give this movie nine pitchforks. I liked it so much more than I expected to. I didn't really know what to expect from it. I'd seen trailers. The trailers do, I would say, don't do it justice or maybe just like kind of make it look like it is a movie that is both more serious and less serious than it is, if that makes sense. Like, the themes are very serious and heavy, but the execution is also kind of fun and ridiculous, and I fucking loved it. It's such a cool movie with a cool storytelling style and great visuals and memorable characters. And like Jack said, like, it takes all these journeys that you do not expect, and I... Love the shit out of that. So, Nine Pitchforks, highly rated film by all of us. Very happy to have watched it with you guys. Mm-hmm. Yes, had a me great, too. Had a great time talking about it with you. And on that note, we'd like to say thank you for joining us on Scares and Satire, Whoa. our special October brand of Swords and Satire. If you had a good time listening, make sure to pop on to your favorite podcasting app and give us a rating to help other people find out about the show check us out on social media uh through instagram facebook or twitter at swords and satire and the swords and satire facebook group and if all that's not enough for you come check us out on patreon where you'll have a frightfully good time exploring the different packages we offer and different upgrades that you can get for your swords and satire experience yeah you can support us at uh at different levels according to your ability and each level comes with its own exclusive content sweet sweet bonus episodes and until next time hail spooky Oh, that that gave me shivers.